Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, what's up? This is Nolan from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are the world's number one automotive podcast, and this week it's part two of our series on Nissan, our conclusion of the Nissan story. We're talking about all the iconic Nissan sports cars in this episode. I'm talking Z car. How'd that even come to be? It turns out the guy responsible for it developed it in secret and then had to act surprised when the engineers showed it off for the rest of the company leadership. Very funny. Uh, and then, of course, Skyline GTR, Datsun 510. A little car called Godzilla. They're all in this episode. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. It's part two of Nissan by Past Gas by Donut Media. Listen today. On March 24th, 1970, Buddy Baker, a.k.a. the gentle giant of NASCAR, slid on his race helmet at Talladega Super Speedway, ready to break records in an all-new car. But the car, a long, pointy-nosed, big-winged engineering feat dubbed DC-93 by Chrysler engineers, looked downright goofy. <laughs> Talladega was a prime testing facility because it was the fastest circle track on the planet, and Chrysler was there to set a record. The day was overcast and cool as Buddy shifted into gear and pulled onto the track. It didn't take long for the driver to smash the 200-mile-per-hour record. What was this top-secret car that Chrysler hired NASCAR royalty to test? How did they shatter open-wheel IndyCar records with a lowly stock car? How did this weird but effective race car win back Richard the King Petty after he ditched Chrysler for Ford? Today on Pass Gas, we dig into the incredible tale of the Dodge Charger Daytona! Welcome to Pass Gas, everybody. My name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Cross Me, it's James Pumphrey. Oh, rocking yeah. an old school donut t-shirt today. Uh, the light blue. Friends and family yeah. only. That's Good a, luck finding one of these. What's no. the real phone number on it? Uh, yeah, 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 this is back when we put <laughs> our real phone number way on back our when. Yeah. yeah, I think now if you called that number, you would. I don't know what's there. You'd get like a VFX yeah, company, probably. And Joe Weber, how you uh, doing? Talladega, I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't. <laughs> All I can hear is these two jerks. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's K Car 1095. 109.5, the car. This is K C A R, the car. <laughs> One of my favorite cars. Speaking of cars, I can't believe we haven't yeah. done it. I know. I can't, I can't believe, believe it. it. I can't believe it. <laughs> it's one of the most recognizable cars on the For planet. Sure. If you don't know what the Dodge Charger Daytona looks like, it's like a muscle car, mm-hmm. the real sharp front. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Nose. And then like a big, tall bridge on the back, mm-hmm. like a bridge spoiler. Big old wing. This is probably one of the most innovative stock cars of all time. Um, so good, in fact, that a- Joe, it's Joe Dirt's car. Yes. Oh, now Joe I know Dirt's what it is. Car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so dominant, in fact, that uh, NASCAR, <laughs> they had a little issue with that, as we'll see later. <laughs> yeah. Um, First, let's set the scene. While Ford was busy fighting Ferrari in the mid-60s, their NASCAR game was getting a little bit stale. Mm-hmm. The 427 high-rise motor of the era was a solid engine, but Ford's squared-off grills and long, flat trunks were dragging down drivers on the newer, longer super speedways. Not aerodynamic. No. Bricks. Bricks. Doors. Like driving a door. But drivers couldn't just run to a different manufacturer. They were all building similarly shaped cars, and audiences were getting bored. In 1966, while the Ford Galaxies were doing their best to stay competitive, the winningest NASCAR driver of all time by just shy of 100 races, Richard the King Petty, who I have a selfie with, was absolutely dominating in his factory-supplied 426 Hemi-run Plymouth Belvedere. Ooh, baby. Named after that fat nanny. (laughs) Mr. Belvedere. He was not the nanny. No? No. I don't know. That shows before my time. All I'm right. not a vampire. <laughs> Meanwhile, Petty's biggest rival, David Pearson, who I don't have a selfie with, uh, had just switched to Ford, didn't have any advantages. I'm thinking of Mr. Sheffield. Mr. Sheffield, the nanny was Fran Fine, head of SAG. Factory racing teams obviously want the best driver possible behind the wheel of their race cars. But they also want a mechanical advantage that will set them apart. So, as Petty crushed the competition in his bright blue Belvedere and won 10 races in a row, a record that still stands five decades later. That's huge, yeah. That's That's bad. That's bad. Ford teams started rethinking their entries to the stock car world. By 1968, they'd started working over a factory Torino and slipstreaming its profile into what they were calling... The Torino Talladega. That's so crazy that people just Ugh. were going 200 miles per hour in this kind of car back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This thing's sick looking. Well, tell us how it looks, James. It's like, um, it's like. <laughs> what color is it? Huh? What colors? Shit. Uh, mm, <laughs> uh like a green. Mm. No, uh, close, but no. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's, mm. <laughs> It's like a less red purple. <laughs> I thought you got your college degree in describing stuff. <laughs> I did, I did, I did. I got hit in the head on the way to work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this color gold is like really good. Yeah, it's like a bronzish gold. It's a bronzish gold. Bronzish. Bronzish gold. What are you bronzish. 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 It's like a, it's okay, so it's like a 1960s. 
uh, Torino, like late with big old like teardrop fastback yeah. shape. Uh, so like a muscle car, it looks a lot like a regular car, i.e. stock car. Yep. But like anytime like these old cars are like race cars, it's so sick. So you can tell that the front windshield is Lexan or whatever the version of Lexan was back in the day. Cause you can see the clips there at the top. Candy uh, glass. Yeah. Is that what it's called? No, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that would, I mean that if someone told me that NASCAR people call safety glass, candy glass, yeah. I would believe you. It's gotta be right. a candy ass to run it. Uh, that it's got some, <laughs> it's got a racing seat in there. The racing seats from back in the day are just like the little part where your butt and your back go. Mm-hmm. And then the headrest is mounted on the oh, roll yeah. bar. Yeah. And I think that's so sick. It's pretty cool. Uh, I love the widened steelies from pretty back cool. in the day. Yeah. And then you got that exhaust that is, you know, powder coated. If there was powder coat back then, uh, black, like flat black coming right out the side, right? Mm-hmm. Just perfect place to yeah. burn yourself. The <laughs> grill is blocked off for aerodynamics. Yeah, that's sick. Got like what looks like an oil cooler or some sort of aerodynamics under it, uh, like a fin under the front bumper. And the headlights, their shapes are there, but now they're blocked off. Look at the Ford logo on the back. It's so Oh, cool. yeah, that's psychedelic. Offset lettering. Offset. Offset. Upset. Anyway, so uh, uh, up, the uh, obviously I was just joking before. I am good at describing cars. <laughs> <laughs> Ford took some aero inspiration from the incredibly sleek and sporty rear quarters and trunk of the fastback Mustang, aka the bullet Mustang, and sloped the roof down straight towards the taillights. But these mid-60s cars that had fastbacks were anything but aerodynamic. I've decided that aerodynamics are like fiber. I don't know what they are. Everything I think is aerodynamic mm. is like, no, that's not an aerodynamic thing. Mm-hmm. And everything I think has a lot of fiber in it does not. Well, just because it the shape looks sleek doesn't necessarily right. mean yeah. that the yeah. physics yeah. work. Like wedge cars, not very not aerodynamic. aerodynamic. Yeah. Yeah. And just because you think it might be roughage does not mean it's got a lot of fiber. I feel like Beans, we're talking about- Beans have fiber. <laughs> Beans have a lot of fiber. Yeah. What yeah. is... What what's a good example of the fiber thing? Because I I feel like well I know what fiber this is. This was our already, conversation last week yeah, where already, we were like I was like broccoli has fiber and he was like broccoli doesn't have fiber and then I pulled up the list. It's number three out of ten. Mm. Beans it's number one. Bad. Beans number one. Well, I guess how many grams of fiber would you think an apple has? <laughs> With no point of reference. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of the most common foods. I don't know. I, it's uh, the first food mentioned in the Bible. I think. Oh yeah, it is. No, unless they, you count water. They talk about ribs. <laughs> <laughs> they. <laughs> uh, it's one gram. Okay. <laughs> the sloping lines, like fiber, cause more drag than slip. The opposite of fiber. Yeah. Until Ford figured out how to clean up those wind streams, like fiber, on their circle track car, <laughs> i.e., the toilet. Holman <laughs> Moody, the I call the toilet my circle track. <laughs> Holman dirt racing at the Wow, it took. 18 minutes to get into the potty talk. (laughs) 
Holman Moody, the premier Ford NASCAR team at the time, sculpted the front section to provide more stability at high speeds. That year, the stock Torinos had an inset grille and lights, like I mentioned, but the team fixed the car up with a new nose, like so many girls I know. <laughs> Which I have a story do. about um, uh, Bob Dylan's daughters. I had an ex. Okay, we'll talk about it. <laughs> an ex went over to the house because she was friends with one of the Bob Dylan's daughters. Uh-huh. And one of them had just gotten a nose job. And he just walks into the room and goes, no, new noses. <laughs> Los Angeles. Los Angeles. That year, the stock Torinos had an inset grill and lights, but the team fixed the car up with a new nose. No, new noses, which was pretty much just a Pinocchio extension that jutted out more than six inches. Hmm. Then they yanked the rear bumper, cut it up, and fit it to the front with a V'd out center to create a makeshift air dam what? and reworked and rolled the rocker panels so they could sneakily lower the cars a solid inch without violating NASCAR ride height rules. Wow. That's those Dude, stinkers. This is a hot stink. rod. Four teams then fitted the newly homologated 429 Boss into the Torino to create a shockingly winning combination. The Torino-Talladega won 29 Grand Nationals during Damn. its debut season, which stomped any other model up to that date. The car brought home loads, loads of awards. <laughs> but the biggest prize it won was the attention of one Richard Petty, the king. In 1968, Richard Petty was getting frustrated with his main sponsor, Plymouth. Because they kept giving him long, boxy cars that weren't winning races. Listen, I don't wake up every morning and put on this cowboy hat and sunglasses <laughs> to drive some long, boxy car that ain't gonna win races. <laughs> oh, God. Ford's Torino Talladega was putting up big numbers, and Plymouth kept pushing the Hemi-powered Roadrunner on Petty. The 1968 Roadrunner was a beast under the hood... But it was as aerodynamic as a dump truck. Hey, my dump truck's pretty aerodynamic. Caked up dump trucks. <laughs> we gotta make that shirt. And Petty had a craving for sleekness. Petty made it clear to Chrysler execs that something needed to change, and they pretty much ignored him until the Torino cleaned house that year. And by cleaned house, we mean the Torino's got 12 poles, 16 wins, 36 top fives, and David Pearson's second NASCAR Grand National Championship that season. Dodge Racing Director Bob Roger was in awe when he saw the Torino Talladega flying around the track during the 1969 Daytona nice. 500. Bob Roger. Bob Roger. Bob Roger. Bob Roger immediately ran to his boss, Bert Bowcamp. And Bert, it's, it's me, Bad Roger. Bad Roger, what are you doing? I'm making my French's hot dog. <laughs> French's? French's? What? Yeah. French, the French family owns NASCAR. Oh, I thought you meant like French, French's mustard. Yeah. They make mustard too? Yeah. That's, That's the, same the same family? family. It's not? I don't know. <laughs> That'd be incredible. Well, that would explain whenever, their wealth. Well, in the... Mm. In the, like, celebrity infield part of NASCAR. It's all French's stuff. It's all, like, there's, like, a, uh, and they always serve chili dogs because it was Mr. French's chili dog 
recipe. Wait, isn't the the family name France? Yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, anyway, he well. loves chili dogs, and that's where my joke came from. <laughs> I thought we were uncovering something crazy, yeah. and it turns out that we got the name wrong. Name wrong. <laughs> anyway. Bob Roger immediately ran to his boss, Bert Baucamp, and explained that NASCAR considers a car stock if 500 of them are sold. It's homologation rules. Homologation rules. Uh, you got to sell cars to race them. That's yeah. what confused me up until this point. I was like, that doesn't look stock. You know, <laughs> looking at NASCARs, right. that doesn't look stock. Yeah. It doesn't look stock. Went on Sunday, sell on Monday, that whole thing. So... Bob proposed that they build the ultimate race car and then put it for sale in dealerships to win some races. Nice. Good idea, Bob. <laughs> Bert Balcamp agreed and greenlit the effort. Bob Roger reached out to Morgan Dolly and Gary Romberg. <laughs> the you sound like a Wisconsin housewife in the 50s gossiping. Bob Roger. So Bob Roger ripped out the Morgan Dolly and, and Gary, Gary Romberg. Romberg. Uh, these guys were the super nerds. And they said, so is there a snow day or no? <laughs> say, where's Bert Baucamp? <laughs> <laughs> these guys were the super nerds in charge of aero and fluid dynamics at Chrysler. And he told them that he needed a more slippery charger. Yeah. So and they were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what, dude? <laughs> so they took the Charger 500 that wasn't impressing anyone to the Chelsea Proving Grounds Oval Track. Okay, so the Charger 500 was also like it, they they took the charger and made it as similar to the Torino uh, Boss 429 as possible. They also put the grill and headlights to the front of the, oh. the intake there. Yeah. They, um, the normal charger had like those arches down the back. Can and I then see the, a picture of this? Yeah, yeah, just Charger 500, type that up. Oh, well, um, you mean do my own work? <laughs> well, I'm not going to send it to you. Well, you have a computer. You used to do stuff for me. That's I know. the fucking problem here. Everybody who does stuff for me does such a good job, then they don't have to do stuff for me anymore. So instead of having, like, two buttresses, yeah. is what they called it, for the rear, the the windshield was raised, and the, the they tried to make the back of the car smoother, yeah. like more uh, like a fastback. Um, it didn't work. It was still very much a brick. Aye. Oh, yeah. fuck. Damn it. Before this, racing breakthroughs typically involved camshafts and cubic inches, <laughs> which nice. is like a Theory of a Dead Man album title, uh, <laughs> or sneaky ways to keep it's the camshafts motors- and cubic inches is my new podcast. <laughs> yeah, we also have a coffee company <laughs> and an energy drink. Yeah, and which are kind of competing. <laughs> yeah, that was dumb. You want to guess who I gave my money to in twenty twenty? I, I don't need to camshafts and cubic inches <laughs> with our coffee and energy drinks. With our coffee and energy drinks and protein. That's pretty bipartisan title, though, huh? Camshafts and I cubic don't like inches? bipartisans. <laughs> I believe like marriage is between a man and a woman. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. 
Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Pretty tough hosting with me, huh? Racing breakthroughs typically Good luck involved. getting through the story, guy. Seven <laughs> cubic inches. Or sneaky ways. If I ways. get distracted, I'll make a joke forever. <laughs> or sneaky ways to keep motors cool, running at higher RPMs, or outright cheating. Some engineers focused on weight and racing fuels. Others looked at compression ratios and better tires. Or, yeah, it's just like making the, the stuff better. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't really look at physics, though. Uh, I think we didn't even look at the physics. Wait, so they're trying to figure out aerodynamics and they're just like, well, maybe better compression. No, no, no. no. What the point of that paragraph was is that they were focusing (laughs) on the motor. It's not Joe's fault. I was distracting him. Joe, they're saying previously they've just been like trying to make it faster by only making more power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not really touching the aerodynamics at all. But now they're like, hey, what if we made more power, baby? And mm. made a slipperier charger. Yes. yes. <laughs> Motors and heavy components weren't the problem. In fact, they were squeezing every pony out of the 426 Hemis, and the interiors of stock cars looked like aluminum bathtubs. The weight was not an issue. Every little mm. trick engineers and mechanics had to make their cars faster were already in play, at least if the NASCAR rules allowed it. Chrysler engineers knew they had work to do, so Let the, them cook. they Let returned them cook. to the laboratory. They broke down what made the Torinos into track rockets and started looking at their own cars and how they could start winning big. Those blocky front facades on the Charger were the real problem. With that in mind, they started cutting up sheet metal and forming some fiberglass. You know, planes have been around for Mm -hmm. 60 years at this point. Mm -hmm. Why don't they just look at a plane and be like, what? No. Yeah, about 60. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't they just look at a plane and be like, oh, (laughs) <laughs> well, that's what they finally did. They, they went did, to the... Like, <laughs> some guy's like, guys, actually, <laughs> planes. <laughs> oh, win. Uh, that's, why that's why they're so slippery. It's so slippery up there. I would <laughs> also posit, Joe, that... I think engine development was cheaper. They are pulling people from Chrysler's aerodynamics. These are people who worked yeah, on, on planes the, on planes and rockets. Yeah. Like Chrysler. And, and for Chrysler. So for they got to walk over to a different building. And, and also, well, yeah. also it's like, a, they have huge campuses and sometimes different campuses. Yeah. Chrysler. And like the, like the race guys, these are guys, these are dudes who they probably aren't educated. They are guys that are just really good at building engines. Right. I think they're educated. The race no, people, though, back then, the racing think, teams. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't really think so. I mean, the suits, the vests. The vests. Vests. But even then, it's not like, I bet Lee Iacocca didn't go to college. I think he did. Yeah, yeah. he did. I think all the business guys but I'm talking did. like the guys who are like the magicians making squeeze more powers out of these yeah. engines. 
they don't associate. I don't think with the with the, in, uh, the rocket engineers over in a different Coco building. Went to Princeton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I mean, this is this is some big stuff here. Like we're yeah. seeing not just one department of one corporation making strides. It's like the and the Chrysler Corporation is bringing everyone together to engineer a car to dominate NASCAR now. Yeah, which is not always a priority. No, especially, but it is for Chrysler now because at the time NASCAR is such a big form of marketing. And also Chrysler, they've always played like third fiddle to Ford and Chevy. Yeah. Uh, that's just, Chrysler was always a smaller company than these two other brands. This is their chance. If they want to get to the top and thus sell more cars than they ever have, this project has to be a success, so they have to bring in the top minds Damn, at dude. the corporation. Thanks for breaking it down yeah. for me. You're welcome, Joe. Chrysler engineers started spending all their time at the wind tunnels, and they brought along several different cars, sheet metal, and wood to shape into testing parts for the humiliated Charger 500 to wear inside of it. You're oh, going to get slippery if I, it's the last <laughs> thing I do. The actual rocket scientists at Chrysler got to work giving the 500 some automotive rhinoplasty. No, no, no. <laughs> first, the do you guys want to know what Bob Dylan's phone sounds like on vibrate? Mm. Uh, uh. <laughs> the first nose cone that Chrysler engineers fitted to the Charger 500 was 23 inches long and sloped downwards. Oh, wow. <laughs> I can relate, huh, fellas? <laughs> <laughs> it slopes down. Right. Yeah, it's so heavy. It's so heavy. <laughs> but after a few test runs at the Lockheed Martin Georgia wind tunnel, they settled on a much more reasonable and usable 18-inch nose for the Daytona. <laughs> this long schnoz gave the Daytona a full length of 226 inches. That's more than 18 feet. That's long. Of car. That's a long car, boy. Yeah, long. That's a long car, boy. <laughs> oh, look at that car. There, boy. Ooh, that's a slipper. That's a long car, boy. Ooh, look at that hole <laughs> Some red pepper. That's a red pepper on it. Ooh, that one look like a spicy little bitch. Got some red pepper on it. That's a long car, boy. 18 feet long if it was a day. 18 feet long if it was one inch. That's a long car, boy. Got some red pepper on it. How long is that, James? 18 feet long, she is an inch. Can you give me some context? Oh, that put... <laughs> put that in the context, that is the same length of a modern full-size Ram 1500 quad cab hey. and a foot longer than a Porsche Panamera sedan. That's a, a longer Porsche, though. Yeah, did you know that I... Do you like how I provided context for multiple... Classes, yeah. yeah, unprompted too. Yeah, both sides <laughs> of the aisle, right there. Yeah. Quad fifteen hundred for my one group, Porsche Panamera. <laughs> <laughs> the length of the car was so like poor Republicans versus rich Republicans. I was gonna say poor two classes, but then I corrected myself because a Ram fifteen hundred quad cab is probably trucks are expensive as much as a Porsche Panamera. Yeah, yeah. 
100 percent. 100 percent. That's a long haul, boy. That's a big <laughs> truck. Costs a lot of money. That truck costs a lot of money. Keep ranching. The length of the car was instantly offset visually by its gigantic spoiler. The squared off fireplace mantle of a wing extended 23 inches above the trunk lid. It gave a whole new space for advertising graphics as what which the vests liked. Yeah. As well as providing some impressive downforce due to it being bolted right to the subframe. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, dude, it's like a Cymatech car. That's cool. That's crazy. Oh, that is that's not revolutionary what? Like above oh, ahead of the time. Mm-hmm. That is cool to us because uh, a wing is there to act like a wing. It provides downforce, which is literally taking the wind and pushing down on the car mm-hmm. to keep it stuck to the track. And if that is like mounted to sheet metal or like something a like yeah. a trunk, then like the trunk lid, the trunk lid then yeah. the amount of force is going just like straight into a piece of sheet metal. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're kind of wasting some yeah, of that. Yeah, not force. as efficient. But if it's going actually into the frame Rails mm-hmm. of the car is pushing down real hard. That's what right we should do in the Subarus, honestly. Right the skeletons, huh? That'd be we got that big old APR wing on there. Yeah, but it should have like a, it should have a more substantial yeah, mounting, mounting up. Yeah, that's a video. I do want to do an aerodynamics revisited kind of Let's thing. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah. Let's do it. But first, let's finish this podcast. Let's finish this podcast. The fighter jet looking wing also provided plenty of side to side directional stability at high speeds. But no matter how goofy it looked, the Daytona was about to be the most aerodynamic car available. At the Lockheed Martin wind tunnel, it clocked a coefficient of drag of 0.28. That's good. Yeah. That is pretty good. For cars, this is a measurement of effectiveness of the car's body shape against the air resistance in relation to forward momentum. Basically, it measures how well sculpted and slippery the car is uh, when it meets the air during driving. For reference, the $380,000 2013 Lamborghini Machine Aventador has a drag coefficient of 0.33 thanks to its long, low, wedge-shaped body. A VW bus comes in right around 0.5 Wow! with its boxy shape. The new Civic Type R slips in with a 0.26, while the Tesla 3 does 0.23. But in 1969, a 0.28 was shockingly yeah, I mean, low. you're right next to the Civic Type R. Yeah. That's crazy. They didn't even know what that was back then. Yeah, they didn't even know what a Civic yeah. Type R was. If, but they, mean, yeah. if they saw a Civic Type R back in the day, they would call up the feds. They, they would. We yeah. found ourselves an alien. Yeah. Shoot it. Shoot it. <laughs> Shoot it, kiss it, shoot it, kiss it, kiss it, shoot it, kiss it. Sometimes I think about sometimes I think about how cool it would be to drive something like that back in the day. Yeah. Like show up to like a race in like a like a GT three RS. It's it'd be funny as like a butterfly effect thing where you show up for like a week, you burn everyone in street races. And then people just from memory draw the car. I'd probably get arrested. But then, like, years later, cars start coming out that kind of look like it, (laughs) but like a little worse. If you took a GT3 RS back to like the 50s, they'd probably think you were a spy and put you in jail. Probably. You'd probably get experimented on. Yeah. They'd think you were an alien. Don't do it. (laughs) 
The big pointy beak made a whopping 1,200 pounds of downforce. Oh, my God. Good God. Yeah, that's a lot for the front. While the wing in the back made 600 pounds of downforce. Whoa. There were also some sneaky reverse air scoops mounted on the fenders above the front tires. Mm -hmm. Everyone at Dodge told NASCAR higher-ups that they were just for some added tire clearance at high speeds. But the reality was that they were relieving air pressure buildup in the engine bay and under the car. Hmm. So, like, again, a car is like a wing, and when you're driving, it's going to— Air is going to go under the car, mm-hmm. and it's got to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. So that's why you have, like, flat-bottom cars now. That air just goes straight out the back. Mm-hmm. But in most cars, especially, like, back in the day, like, there's an engine bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the air uh, would go up into the engine bay and push, actually, up on the hood. Oh, wow. So if you cut holes in there, then there's somewhere for the air to go, and your front end doesn't lift up as much as it would. Uh, this was a big no-no, according <laughs> to NASCAR rules. But it reduced drag by 3%. Wow. That's good. These effective engineering elements locked the Daytona to the track in a way that no one had ever experienced before. On the first test run at the Chrysler Proving Grounds, NASCAR legend Charlie Gotchback, <laughs> a.k.a. Charging Charlie. He's a slippery one. He'll charge you right up. <laughs> took the experimental Dodge Daytona right to the 200-mile-per-hour threshold. He was in awe at how solid the handling was at high speeds and set another brief NASCAR record with a 199.466 miles per hour. Wow. Needless to say, the drivers and engineers were ecstatic, but the Dodge styling department weren't quite as thrilled. Huh? Yeah. Wow. They had some notes. What? Yeah. <laughs> they had most of which were to lose the ugly nose oh. and the giant ridiculous wing so we can sell some cars. But that's the whole thing. Uh, listen, pal. No one's going to buy that sharp tooth <laughs> tail bird. <laughs> but the gearheads and scientists had approval, and they had Dodge GM Bob McCurry. Bob wrapped around their fingies because he liked to win. And he told the designers to back off. This machine was designed for function, not fashion. (laughs) And all those turtlenecked-wearing poindexters were like, (laughs) Well, no, they would have been like, they would have been the Don Drapers of the Chrysler. Yeah. The stylish guys. Turtleneck wearers. Okay, you said pencil necks. I said Poindexter's. You so turtleneck wearing Johnny Depp's? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <sighs> with, the, <laughs> with the idea of both a good-looking and record-breaking car thrown out the window, Dodge decided it was time for a big reveal. Their PR manager, Frank Wiley. I love the names in this episode. Yeah, I know. So good. James Pumphrey, what the hell am I doing <laughs> wasting my life? Uh, was looking for any opportunity to get the Dodge name in print, and the Daytona's big wing was sure to deliver some headlines. Wiley reached out to NASCAR kingpin Bill France, not Bill French. <laughs> As we've just said. Not the Mustard King. Not, not the, the Mustard, mustard King. King. <laughs> mustard King sounds like a ska band. <laughs> France had been looking to promote the all-new Alabama Motor Speedway, soon to be known as Talladega, and Wiley's idea of bringing the Daytona there for an official run was exactly what France was after. 
Dodge engineers brought out their test mule, the number 88 Dodge Charger Daytona. The car itself had an interesting background. It had started its life as a stock test Charger 500 for journalists. It oh, was a press fun, car. dude. Yeah. Dude, this is a Cars prequel. Mm. The Superbird played by Richard Petty mm. in Cars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You made oh, yeah, this yeah, yeah. movie a prequel to that. Yeah. The king. Humans are alive. Yeah. Oh. And but there's some weird, like, disease killing them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But this is the seven. It's turning them all into flies. Anyway, anyway this uh, was all yeah. to say that I like the idea that their test mule that they developed this stuff on was an actual mm-hmm. car driven by journalists. Yeah. And they're like, hey, little guy, you've <laughs> been driven you, by all these journalists. You've done good, kid. Yeah. Yeah. You're getting called up yeah. to the big leagues. That's right, yeah. We have a very special project for you. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to need a nose job. <laughs> yeah, we're going to cut you. Yeah. So They made uh, him Robocop. <laughs> <laughs> These journo types would borrow the car for a few days, write their articles, and ship it back. That's how press cards work. Except number 88 ran into some trouble. While on loan in California, the car was stolen from oh, the writer, wow. stripped oh. down to bare bones, and left abandoned Dude. behind a shopping center on four milk crates. It writes itself. The car was marked not for sale and shipped back to Michigan, where the Michigan. engineers. Michigan. Robocop. Robocop. This is when he gets shot. Oh, yeah, and yeah. rebuilt. Yeah. Uh, where the engineers promised to respectfully rehab the car. Rehab doesn't typically include cobbling it into a record-breaking car that the world would remember for decades, but that's how number 88 wound up with a pointy snout and tall wing, sitting on the Talladega tarmac waiting for Buddy Baker to hop behind the Buddy wheel. Baker. Ah, Buddy Baker. Buddy no, Baker. That's a name that's I a know. Name. That's a name I know. Richard Petty, never heard of uh, that. I want to say, I'm going to start saying that when I... Like, see friends for yeah. the first time in a while. Like, Joe Weber, now that's a name I know. <laughs> <laughs> when it came time to test the car, engineers did a final analysis of the aero setup and decided to run the car totally flat on the longer oval. Typically, the Daytona was run with a slight rake downwards in the front, but running the car flat gave zero front lift. That's weird. You'd expect the opposite. If it's raked like this, yeah. you'd expect no lift. How does it do flat? No lift. I don't know how air works. I know. See, it's just like fiber. I don't know how it works. With the wing, uh, that would keep well, the car maybe, on rails toward in the bank turns. Maybe like somehow an angle like this, and I'm just postulating, mm-hmm. like causes some sort of vortexy underneath the, the car. Yeah, sucks yeah. Air more. Yeah, I could see that. I could see, see that. This, yeah. Does this make sense to you? It makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. This seems like a physics effect. Yep. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's the postuli effect. Postuli. <laughs> might actually be the Venturi effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it might be. <laughs> On Baker's warm-up lap, he clocked in at 199.8 miles per hour. Engineers did some more fiddling, and after a dozen more test laps, the official NASCAR scorekeeper set up timing lights and laid down the rules. Baker had a series of five-lap runs to break the record. On his sixth set of laps, he broke the 200-mile-per-hour barrier. And after that, Buddy Baker was running 200-mile-per-hour laps consistently. Hell yeah. That's the fastest Buddy I got. (laughs) The final record sat at 200.447 miles per hour. Everyone is thrilled to not only hold the official record, 
but to have the upper hand against Ford in their sleek Torino. Finally. Previously known as sleek. Yeah. Now they look like Brendan Fraser from The Whale. Well, uh, sleek is very 2000 and late. And yeah. Slippery is very 2008. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ha, ha. The big win went over the interest of the general public and their pocketbooks. But there was someone else that turned their kingly gaze to the Daytona. Richard Petty. Still, Who I have a self- selfie with. <laughs> Richard Petty was still <laughs> unhappy with his road runner. I do. And loved the record-smashing Daytona, no matter how goofy it looked. It looks cool. It looked I mean, it looks different than it's it, a lot. I wonder if it is like it a, is a, a big time car nerd thing to see something like that and be like, that looks awesome. But then a yeah. general populace would be like, yeah. what the frick is oh, that? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. It looks, it's an acquired taste. Yeah. Uh, also, some some background on this test day. Give it to me. Uh, apparently, some other OEMs had hired planes to circle oh, the track. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like this. spy on the test. Yeah. Why, what and are they you gonna... intentionally, no, no, because they intentionally kept. Apparently, this is what I've read. Yeah. Uh, Buddy Baker and the Chrysler team intentionally didn't sandbagged. go. Yeah, they sandbagged. They didn't go all out because 200.4, that's you not. Did it. You did 200. They did it. Yeah. But they didn't go. They didn't really show what the car was fully capable yeah. of because they didn't want the competition to know until this next section. James. But how, so is someone in a plane, are they, do they have a little speed gun? How They're are they? timing. Oh, okay. It seems kind of unnecessary. <laughs> Yeah, but do you remember? It sounds almost untrue now that I say it. Now that we talk about it, do you remember when Danny Way dropped in from the helicopter? Into yes, a, and uh, it was a huge, I think, Trans World event. But Thrasher smuggled in people in oil drums <laughs> to the dock they were doing it, and they popped out <laughs> and took pictures and released the pictures before, before Trans, Trans World. Trans World. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Same, is there like same, same. huge beef between Thrasher and Transworld? Or? Yeah, Thrasher's like very punk yeah. and Transworld was like uh, a little uppity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kylie Jenner wears Thrasher hoodies. Yeah, so there you go. She's such a poser, dude. <laughs> she can't even kickflip. Yeah, she can't kickflip. I don't want to be gatekeepy. You know, anyone can wear and Thrasher. Don't be. Yeah. Don't be. Yeah, I was going to say if Kylie Jenner wants to wear a donut hoodie, yeah, I'm yeah, not going to yeah, ask her if she can drive if she can get actually, one. Wait, she actually did. She has a lot of Don't cars, right? She's like, she's got a Kendall's cool car. Kendall's known for great car, too. I mean, they all she's have a lot of cars. C10 They're very truck. rich women. Yeah. But Kendall's has like, a, she has like a C10, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. if Kendall Jenner wanted to wear a donut hoodie, we would send her some. Or if she 100%. just wants to go down to her local Zoomies, they're available at every Zoomies in North America and select blue tomato stores in Europe. If she's like at Paris Fashion Week or yeah. something yeah. and is like, I'm cold, mom. Mom, mom give mom, me a money. Let's go to Zoomies. Mom. Let's go to Blue Tomato. Blue Tomato. <laughs> I'm. It's Paris Fashion Week. I need to cover up my product and not get all covered in dust or bed bugs. <laughs> <laughs> Enough with Kendall Pretty. Let's talk about Richard Petty. <laughs> we'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. The king called up the big wigs at Plymouth and demanded his own petty blue Plymouth version of the Charger Daytona. They told him the same old story, that he'd have to settle for a 1969 Roadrunner. Their reasoning was that he always run racing Plymouths, and he should keep on keeping on. Instead, 
Petty handed in his resignation letter after almost a decade of top-tier sponsorship. Then Petty showed up at the Riverside International Raceway with a sleek Torino dripping in Petty Blue, and he absolutely smoked the competition. Plymouth immediately did a spit take and scrambled to beg Petty for forgiveness. Petty wound up with nine big wins and placed second overall in the 1969 season, just behind David Pearson, who had gone from rival to teammate. Dude, he's like, he's like, oh, you ain't going to treat me right? Turns out you ain't the only name on my <laughs> dance ticket. <laughs> Plymouth bosses immediately started doing the math on building their own winged beast to win Petty back. So they went for broke and brought in Gary Romberg, an actual rocket scientist who helped develop the B-1 booster rocket, one of my favorite rockets. Pretty sick. It's yeah. Pretty good. He got down to aero business while Plymouth execs started schmoozing the king. Let's get down to aero business. Now you guys go start schmoozing the king, and I'm going to get down to aero business. Chrysler. Petty wanted to see his own Plymouth version of the Daytona before he'd even pick up the phone. Romberg. Pick up the phone there. No. Romberg reworked Petty's old Belvedere for a bit before ditching it and setting his eyes on the 1969 Roadrunner Petty never wanted to race. They went the same route as Dodge and lengthened the nose and stretched the Roadrunner's wings. I mean, did they just didn't they just bolt up all the Dodge stuff? It's not the same aero stuff. If you look if you look at the cars side by side, the the Superbird actually has a much different nose. It's not as pointy. It's more I think it's oh, it's like rounder, like this. yeah, and that's yeah. because it's more like a sure, yeah. Uh, James is flipping his lip upward. It's like more it's like uglier. This. I like the Daytona a lot more. People always talk about the Superbird like first. Well, it's down. Yeah, it's like down. Yeah, it, it it yeah. That's because Plymouth did style the car. They tried to make the nose look better. Uh huh. Um, they failed. I mean, I guess. I mean, I don't know. It's up. To, it's personal preference, I guess. I prefer the Daytona. Yeah. At the end of the day, they wound up with a very similar, but not exactly looking car to the Dodge Daytona. But they went on their own marketing whirlwind and called it the Superbird. It was a Roadrunner. Now it's a Superbird. Mm-hmm. Petty fell in love and returned home to Plymouth. All was forgiven. You guys done f- around. <laughs> <laughs> Now give me a squirt. Now give me a squirt and a snake. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to say steak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you bring me a snake, I wouldn't be opposed to it. <laughs> I meant to say steak, but I'm embarrassed, so I'm not going to admit it. This is a monologue. I'm not going to admit it. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I wanted. A poisonous snake. <laughs> exactly what I asked for. A squirt and a snake. Thank you. I'm going to go back to my trailer and... Use these as I intended when I asked for them. Uh, lovely. I have a selfie with him. I spent a whole day with Richard Petty, mm-hmm. and he was great. 
I interviewed him about NASCAR. Mm -hmm. It's in a video we made. Mm -hmm. Did he see his <laughs> underpants? No, I did not. Oh, okay. I did not. I bet he doesn't wear them. Whoa, free yeah, balling king. Well, jeans are tight, boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In 1970, with the 426 Hemi back under his command, nice. Petty tore up the super speedways. He won 18 races that year. However, it wasn't enough to beat Dodge, and Bobby Isaac drove the Charger Daytona to the championship. Out of 48 total races that season, the Chrysler Wing Cars won 38 of them. Whoa. And as a result, the Chrysler Bigwigs were sitting pretty as their cars flew off the showroom floors. Whoa. But not the wing cars, because a lot of people, actually, those cars would actually sit for a long time. They would sit for a long time, and a lot of, uh, some instances, dealerships would convert them mm -hmm. back to regular. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. Yeah. But Bill France had Owner of some NASCAR. concerns. He was like, people are mistaking me for the mustard guy. Yeah, uh, it's not <laughs> French's, it's France. And also, I hate France. <laughs> he was worried that drivers were putting themselves at risk. Uh, at the high speeds, the winged cars reached weren't safe on the oval. Mm, I don't think he was so concerned about safety. Yeah. Typically, race executives will wait for a series of tragedies to make a big rule change. But at the end of the 1970 season, France decided enough was enough and banned the wing beasts for both Chrysler and Ford. So you can't have a wing. Sounds like Chevy. Mm -hmm. Was mm -hmm. bad. Yeah. They didn't give a crap about that. You know what it was? A Chevy probably bitching about it. Concerned. It was Chevy and Ford saying, hey, this smaller brand that we usually dominate is doing good now. Yeah. Yeah. Let me put my finger on the scale there. But it wasn't just the aero kits that NASCAR shut down. It was the size of the motors. They decided that the 426 Hemi was too big, and if you wanted to run a wing car, your engine was limited to 305 cubic what? inches. What? This is a That's little... Lame. So you could, you could be a pointy you boy. Yeah. You could do it, Joe. Mm. But your engine's going to be... You're going to have a handicap. You're going to have a small engine. That's lame as shit, it dude. It is lame as shit. Because so it annoying. reduced speeds greatly. And since the top speeds are dropped, the big the big wings just weren't as effective. Big it, wings. The big handicap wings. worked, and Chrysler no longer won. Uh, with the wings truly in the rearview mirror, racing got back to normal, which meant Petty put everyone in their place behind the wheel of his Plymouth. He drove the wingless Plymouth to 21 victories out of 43 total races that season. It was Petty's second best year since he started racing. He was only six wins shy of beating his best year ever. Today, NASCAR is all about aerodynamics. Whoa. Yeah. But even with so many changes and advancements, top speeds and average laps aren't wildly different than they were in the 70s. In 1987, Bill Elliott broke Baker's record and reached 212.809 oh miles per hour at Talladega, which still stands as the fastest NASCAR lap ever. And that's an average speed. That's not like the top speed of NASCAR. What? Yeah, so that's how they time lap. Or that's how they timed this lap. So he had an average speed of 212. So that means on the straights, he was probably hitting like 230. Jeez. Yeah. Chances are... 220, will, not 230. 220. Chances are that record will never be broken due to safety regulations. While newer generation stock cars can go faster than ever, they just aren't let off their leashes to run free anymore. For example, in 2018, an unrestricted stock car hit 271 Damn. miles per hour at the Bonneville Salt Dang, Flats. Dude, that's crazy. Dude, that's so fast. But you'll never see one hit those speeds at a legit racetrack. The Arrow Warriors were the end of an era. 
as NASCAR execs regulated themselves before the oil crisis even had a chance to do it for them a few years later. We really shoved the oil crisis in there, put it in another one. Yeah, that oil crisis really screwed well, hey, things up. At least no one died in this one. I know. Yeah. That's been, it's been a while. The opposite of died. Mm-hmm. Richard Petty became a king, a, king. a god. And a Pixar character. Immortal. And a Pixar character. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Uh, I love these cars. Yeah. I want, I want, okay, so what I want to do is buy a Charger, uh-huh. make a Superbird, cl- get a clone nose, so uh-huh. a pointy nose. Then Not to be confused with the clown nose. No. But then, instead of Hemi, mm-hmm. electric, EV swap, EV drivetrain, That's short, cool. short like a, not super tall wing, uh-huh. but like half the length. Well, now that you're modifying it, maybe you could do what uh, they did to the in the Fast and the Furious, what mm. they do to the Chargers now. Oh yeah, with the that clear headlight thing. No, they cut the. Oh yeah, they move the front wheel forward. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and then have conifer paint, paint it. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm a LA guy. Yeah. I gotta have that. <laughs> to. I saw that look you gave. What are you gonna do? Wow, dude. What's your dream a lot build? Of insecurity, Mister right Volkswagen. I don't know what my dream build is. Yeah. My dream build? A family. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair enough. We got some listener mail. What's up, guys? I'm a big fan of the show. I've listened to every episode since September 2001. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) AKA the first episode. I really love the story about the Midnight Club and the skyline. Thanks, dude. Here in Sweden... Pascast isn't as well known of a podcast, but I've gotten most of my car loving friends and my dad into listening to the show. Me and my dad listen to the latest episode every time we work on something in the garage. That's fun. Our latest project is a 1975 VW Type 2 in baby blue that we are converting to a camper. Nice. That's close to petty blue. Uh Hmm. Full circle. It's a birthday gift from my dad to my mom on her 50th birthday. Keep it secret. What? Okay, we'll Uh, not release this episode. (laughs) Just let us know when you tell her, and then we'll go ahead and release this episode. Yeah. Uh, Love from Mio DK. And wait, how are you going to restore a whole car in your garage in secret from your mom? Don't go in there! (laughs) <laughs> this thing's cool hey honey where are the Christmas lights oh I think they're, they're in the garage don't I'm gonna go, go in get there. them no no Christmas no. is in for another three months that's more of a that's like a darker blue than a baby blue and I like it I like that color it's blue. cool that's awesome a lot how a much lot. Um, those are a lot of money yeah yeah that's an early one too that one's a lot of money that's, that's the Little Miss Sunshine bus right mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, well, I thought that was a so 22 expensive. window one. Yeah, that one has more windows. This thing's sick. I like it. This thing's sick, dude. I'd eat lunch in that bus. I co-parent a VW fan again now. With who? Emily um, has one? Emily's friends. What? It's like a 90s one with a VR6 in it that I brought to the office that one day. Co-parent a van? Yeah, yeah, what does that mean? Uh, Just help with maintenance and stuff and get to use it whenever I want. Okay. Okay. You should 
figure out a less weird way to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, it was a tie-in with a dog co-parenting. Yeah, sounded thing. like a real weirdo. When said <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anyone else that. <laughs> yeah, man. Maybe just, you know, as a representative of our brand, figure out a less super, a less super weird way I to say that. I adopted a van again. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Pass Gas. Uh, make sure you follow James on all social media at James Pumphrey. Follow Joe at Joe G Weber. Follow me at Nolan J Sykes. If you'd like, big thank to our big thank to our writer this week, Jacob Desjardins, and of course our producers, Christina Felsky and Gavin Kinzel and Nick behind the hey, cameras. Big thank Nick to Chibuso. Nick. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.